Gosh, we started this how long ago, and I'm still, and we're supposed to be doing like a study of the book of James. And it's really kind of turning into a study on the book of James chapter 1, verse 2. Because uh, we've been on that verse for like, uh, how many weeks now? Um, and you all know that, I mean, this problem, I have more to say than time to say it. And so Wednesday nights has kind of uh, created a problem in that I just kind of pick up where I left off. So last week we were kind of looking at this um, issue, I think, that I think all of us, me included, uh, face from time to time, and that is just, you know, making wise, godly decisions, you know, and, and what is involved in that. And, you know, again, just the challenge of, of doing that, because every one of us in this room, I mean, you know, one of the many things that we have in common is all of us have made foolish mistakes, things that we have done or said, and we look back on it, and we think, why did I do that? Why did I say that? What was I thinking? Um, and so, oftentimes, one of the, the values of mistakes is being able to learn from that. I mean, what, do, what did I learn about myself in, in that? It's um, oftentimes, you know, uh, it, it is something that I like to process with, with people if there's been an issue with them. You know, what am I learning about myself um, through that? And so oftentimes, again, just being challenged and learning how do we make wise, godly decisions? And of course, the book of James has a little bit to say about that. And so last week, we kind of talked about the problem a lot of times and the, and the culprit behind a lot of our unwise, foolish decisions is really indecision. I mean, how many times have you known this is what I need to do, but you end up doing the exact opposite? And oftentimes, it's just this indecision. You can't make up your mind. Um, and, and so it, it's this indecision, and that indecision causes instability. It causes instability in our lives, our emotions, our relationships. And then we kind of talked about um, the prescription that James gives us in that is wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, because God is the source of all wisdom. Let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault. And again, we, we talked at length about that last week. So the problem of indecision, God's answer, God's prescription, the antidote to that is getting God's wisdom, getting God's perspective. God, I've got this situation. How do you want me to respond? How do you want me to deal with it? How do you want me to react in this situation? It's asking God, God, what would you do in this situation? And that's what I want to do. That's stability. That's confidence. Um, and that's how we're going to make a good, wise, strong, blessed decisions. It's getting God's perspective and then saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what God would do. And then we uh, talked about, uh, got kind of started on number uh, three. So the problem in decision, the prescription, get wisdom. And the promise is God will give it. And again, James 1.5, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Not it might, possibly, it says it will. There's, it's definitive. It will be given 
to him. Now, oftentimes, one of the problems we have is sometimes the wisdom God gives us isn't the wisdom maybe we were hoping for. Ever had that happen? Yeah, God tells you something, you're like going, man, that's, that is not what I wanted to hear. But again, it's what we need to do in that situation. And so, uh, again, it will be given to him. God wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you his perspective. He wants to tell you this is what you need to do in order to be blessed, to prosper, to have a future, to have hope. This is what you've got to do. So he will give it. He's, he's eager. Just like it pleased God when Solomon said, Lord, the thing I need most is wisdom. And, and not that God is surprised, but you get this sense that God is kind of impressed that of all of the things that Solomon could have chosen, which could have been very selfish, very self-serving, he chose wisdom because he wanted to be able to use that wisdom to lead God's people righteously. And so God was eager to give that to Solomon because that's a good thing. And so God is eager uh, to do that. It's God's nature to give. God is a giving God. And so look at how God says he'll give wisdom. He'll give it continually. And God who gives. Now, in the Greek, that is in the continuous kind of ongoing tense. It isn't a one-time, you know, three rubs of the genie's lamp, and then you're done. It's, it's continuous. It is an ongoing um, dialogue. It's an ongoing giving to us from God's perspective generously. Again, God's resources are unlimited. The problem for most of us is we haven't even begun to tap into the infinite resources of God. So he's unlimited. There is nothing. There's no problem. There's no situation. There's no predicament that you can get into that is so tangled or too tangled for God. You're never gonna hear God say, you know what, never dealt with this one. Not sure what to do here. Let me get back to you. So he's unlimited in his wisdom. No matter what you're facing, God has wisdom that will be applicable um, and will be a blessing to you in that situation. So he has enough and, and, and enough for everybody. Um, God is, does, does not have a finite source of wisdom. Um, he's got more than enough for everybody without finding fault. I love this. Without finding fault. God gives cheerfully. I mean, I think all of us have sometimes received gifts with strings attached to it. You know, you kind of know that this gift was kind of given for a specific purpose, um, God doesn't do that. God, God doesn't uh, give to get something out of us. It's just in God's nature to be a cheerful um, giver. And the Bible says God loves to give. It's his nature to give. We don't need to feel embarrassed by what we're asking for. We don't need to feel intimidated. We don't need to feel like we're gonna be upbraided or criticized 
by God, you know, God's not going to meet your request with, you know, saying, you know, you couldn't figure that out on your own. You really had to bother me. You really had to ask me that you, you don't know any better. I mean, oftentimes that may be our response sometimes to people who come to us with questions or in need of solutions. How many, I mean, I've, how many of us have said this as parents? How many times do I have to tell you? God doesn't meet our requests for wisdom that way. It says he gives generously without finding fault, without criticizing, without embarrassing us. And that's what giving is all about. So as we kind of, you know, come more towards the end of this particular thing, you know, where do you need God's wisdom right now? I mean, is there a situation? Is there a relationship? What is a big decision uh, in your life? Is it a career decision, marriage, you know, kids, uh, an investment? You know, again, it's interesting to me that in James um, uh, 5 and 8 and then uh, verses 9 through 11 gives us practical application of where we need wisdom. And again, of all of the areas that James could have kind of focused in, kind of zeroed in on to use as an example, he chooses money. Now again, that's, that's not just, you know, kind of accidental. I mean, it's, it's intentional. He does this on purpose. Why? Because I think most of us in this room would agree. Probably most of the foolish, unwise decisions we've ever made in life have involved money. Isn't that true? A lot of the foolish choices that we make, we make regarding our finances more than anything else in the world. Most people, and I, I mean, I will include myself in that, are double-minded, we are unstable when it comes to dollars than in any other area. I see so many Christians um, who are in or who have been in financial bondage because they just continually violate God's principles on stewardship. Uh, The point James is making in these verses is that regardless of poverty or prosperity, we all need to realize that wealth or money is temporary, and and it won't last forever. Remember, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love the one or uh, hate the other, but you can't love God and money at the same time. And he says, you've got to decide. Have we made up our minds what we're going to save, spend, tithing, giving, those kinds of things? And again, there is a fantastic promise here, and all we have to do is claim it. And so a couple of things that James says about uh, decision-making, and then we're going to start talking about temptation here um, tonight. Number one, God does not want to make the decision for you. This is really, really important. God will give you the wisdom. He'll give you the instruction. He'll provide you with what you need to know, and then it is up to you to apply that, to walk that out. So God does not want to make the decision for you. James doesn't say pray and ask God to... um, give you the wisdom, and then do it 
for you also. Otherwise, again, you'd never mature. Part of maturing is hearing what it is God's calling you to do and then obeying that. That is one of the ways we mature in our walk, in our relationship with God. It's one of the ways you gain stability in your walk with God. You hear what he's telling you to do and you just obey it. And what that does is that results in a deepening of your maturity. When God made man, Genesis 1, he made him in his image. And for me, part of that image that we were created in is that we were given a free will. God gave you a lot of responsibilities, but he also, and in that, he gave you the freedom to choose. God doesn't give you the freedom to choose and then override your decision to make all the decisions in your life. He wants you to make the decisions, but he wants you to to do that based on wisdom he's given. And then he wants you just to walk it out, to live it out. He does not want to make the decision for you. Many times I'll hear Christians say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to leave it up to the Lord. Now that, that sounds spiritual, And sometimes that's exactly what you need to do. But sometimes that's exactly the opposite of what you need to do. A lot of times the phrase, I'm going to leave it up to the Lord, becomes a cop-out. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to do anything about this. I'm just going to do nothing, and that is my way of leaving it up to the Lord. It's saying, you know, maybe I'm scared to death, or I'm, I'm just a poor decision maker, or I always seem to kind of do the exact opposite of what God wants me to do. I'm tired of trying. It's just up to the Lord. I don't know which way to turn. Therefore, I'm just going to accept whatever happens, and that's God's will. And again, that can be, uh, that, again, that can just be, Laziness, it can just be a form of disobedience, um, of rebellion. The fact is, God's will on the earth in our lives is not always done, largely because, again, lack of obedience on our part. So everything that happens in your life is not necessarily God's will. And this is, you know, we have a real fancy word for this, you know, fatalism. You know, what will be, will be. Whatever happens, happens Whatever goes on, it must be the will of God. That's fatalism. I'm just, you know, going to leave everything up to God. Everything that happens on the earth is not necessarily God's will. That's why Jesus taught us when he taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we've, if you've been here on Sunday mornings, we've kind of talked at length about that. God wants his will done upon the earth just like it's being done in the heavens. And that involves us cooperating with what God is, is wanting to do on the earth through us. Now in heaven, we know God's will is being perfectly done. But it's not being done perfectly here on earth. A lot of things are done that are not God's will because we made the wrong decision. And so oftentimes, again, it is we're, we're either hearing the voice of God and we're just being 
disobedient, we're being rebellious, or it's not what I wanted to hear. And so oftentimes, uh, his will is not being done. We just let things go. You know? And sometimes passivity is the exact opposite of what God wants you to do. He wants you to get on your knees, pray for wisdom, you know, listen for the voice of God until you know what he's wanting you to do, and then he wants you to make the decision. He will not make it for you because, again, he wants us to grow up. Maturity in the Christian life is making decisions the way the Lord Jesus um, would. And so, again, we don't want to blame God for our indecision or our passivity. Second thing is wisdom. God's wisdom is found in God's word. If you want wisdom, folks, you've got to get into the book. You've got to get into God's word. Give me wisdom again. Teach me principles. And, and that's one of the beautiful things about the word of God is it's filled with principles that when you apply them will bless and prosper um, your life. We, we study, we meditate, we memorize uh, the, this book. God's wisdom is found in God's word. And we need to be reading through the scriptures continuously. I love Psalm 119, verse 105. God's word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. In the New Testament times, they didn't have high beam flashlights um, with ever ready batteries. How did they walk in the dark? They had tiny little lamps. And oftentimes they would put them, maybe attach them to their sandals. Uh, they would have tiny little lamps that wouldn't uh, slosh out the oils. They would tie them to the front of their feet. And as they walked, that light would just light enough for them to see um, the next step ahead. Again, it's not a high beam light that's going to show you things far off uh, in the distance. Uh, so it, it, the analogy there is, is God may not show you everything that's going to happen throughout the rest of your life. God may just show you, here's, my, here's what I want you to do right now. Here's what I want you to do today. You know, God's not going to give you uh, his detailed plan for the rest of your life today. It's as you walk in obedience day by day, God just begins to reveal, okay, very good. Here's the next step. Very good. Here's the next step. Very good. Here's the next step. What that does is that builds fellowship. See, if I tell you everything, if I show you everything, then there's really no reason for you to come back. But if I just kind of give you a little snippet and, it, and it's good, it leads you well, you're going to come back and say, what's next? You're doing good. I need to know what's next. Okay, good, you're doing good. I need to know. We keep coming back, and it builds relationship between us and God. It gives us guidance. It's not a high beam that shows everything that's going to happen in our lives the next 20 years. God doesn't want you or, or doesn't necessarily think you need to know that. Uh, he just wants us to take one day at a time, his word one step at a time. He lights the path. He says, I'll give you wisdom for today. Come tomorrow. I'll give you wisdom for uh, tomorrow. So let um, I want to turn now, and I want to look at um, one of man's oldest problems, temptation. And oftentimes when I talk on temptation, what is helpful for me as I'm writing this, is I tend to try to get an issue um, 
where I feel like, okay, this is an area right now in my personal life where I'm feeling the greatest temptation. And the reason I tell you to get that in your mind is so that as we're going through this, you can kind of begin to take it and apply it in a real life situation. So it's not just information you're cramming in your brain. It's information that you're saying as we're going through this. You're thinking about that problem and you're going, okay, how does this apply to the temptation? I'm going, that's how a lot of times I will write messages on temptation. Um, what does the word have to say about what I'm going through in this particular um, temptation? So that is one of the ways that can be helpful for you tonight uh, in finding application. See, temptation goes all the way back to Adam. We all face temptation. There is not a one of us in this room that are ever immune for it. Oscar Wilde once said, I can, I can withstand anything except temptation. I love that quote. And some people think the only way to get rid of temptation is to give into it. Now, the Bible talks about two different kinds of testing. One is the word trials. The other is called temptation. Both of them use, oh, Brent's back there. Good job, Brent. I kept thinking, the house, I, I look back there, there's Brent sitting there. I can, you want my notes? You're doing great. I mean, you're, you're keeping up with me. You can have my notes if you want them. Okay. I'll frame them for you. No. Okay. So I love this. The Bible talks about two different kinds of testing. One is called trials, the other is called temptation. Both of them, however, use uh, the same word in the Greek, which I find um, very, very uh, interesting. And it doesn't matter because sometimes a situation can be both a trial and a temptation. But to distinguish them, to kind of separate them, trials are situations designed by God in order to help us grow. Okay? Trials are opportunities. Uh, they are situations that God brings about in our lives specifically to help us grow to mature us. Okay? Temptations are designed by the devil, by the enemy, to cause us or to ensnare us in sin. That's the difference. Trials God brings, God allows in order to deepen, to grow, to mature you. Temptations come from the enemy primarily uh, to sideline you, to distract you, to cause you to sin, to cause you to not do what God is calling you to do. So that's the difference between trials and temptations. Now James 1-2 says, blessed is the man who endures or overcomes temptation. For when he is tried, a trial, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So James says there's a prize, there's a reward for enduring or overcoming temptation. First it said blessed. I mean, that's happy, happiness, blessedness. It kind of comes from having your life 
under control or under control of the Holy Spirit so that there is no bad habit that is devastating you or sidelining or, or causing you to kind of get off course in life. When you know how to say no to temptation, you know what? It produces happiness, blessedness, stability in your life. When you say no to drinking, no to drugs, you know, no to anything that is going to cause you to sin, the ability to withstand, the ability to um, say no to that, it will produce blessedness, happiness, stability in your life. It also says that part of that reward is a crown of life. Now in the Greek, that, that phrase means life itself, or life as it is found in God. James is telling us when you understand temptation, when you overcome it, when you learn to say no, then you're really learning to begin to live. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's what, that's what Jesus, you know, had to endure, overcome temptation. And it produced blessing, peace, stability in his life, and, and he's experiencing life itself in overcoming that temptation. So when you uh, really begin to understand temptation, when you overcome it, when you learn to say no, that is when you really will begin to live and you'll begin to walk in blessing. It's a crown of life, abundant life itself. The question is, how? How do you handle, how do you overcome, how do you withstand temptation? How do I say no when I want to say yes? I, uh, Pastor Mark and I had a very lengthy discussion um, about this today. You know, how, how do you, how do you, that, that tension you know, I, I was we were I just was talking about the, the tension that, that is there when when your heart says one thing and your head says another and you kind of just feel like you are in that tension and you're just kind of being pulled in two different directions. You know, how do you how do you withstand? How do you endure? How do you overcome um, in that? And so James, being the practical apostle, kind of gives us what I think are five really awesome principles um, in doing that. The first one is be realistic. Face the fact you're going to be tempted. Okay, it is not, it's not optional. It's not that God gives you a, a, a list of multiple choice things, and, and temptation is one of those that you can pick and choose amongst. All of us are going to face temptation. My guess is every one of you in here tonight have faced temptation at one point or another. Be realistic. It comes to all of us. It came to Jesus. So be realistic. Everyone is tempted. James 1.14 says, let no one say when he is tempted. When tempted, not if tempted, when tempted. Be realistic. It's going to happen. It's going to happen your whole life. 
There are going to be those moments, those times, those days throughout your lifetime where you are going to have to face temptation. Key is, you got to learn how to withstand, how to overcome, how to be victorious in that because it's going to come. Just like, you know, trials, temptations are inevitable. Everybody's tempted. You're tempted. I'm tempted. Every day we're tempted. You never get too old for it. You never overcome this by, by trying to become too spiritual. You know, oftentimes people will think if I just reach a certain plateau spiritually, I'll get beyond this. You, you'll never grow too spiritual for temptation. Everybody's tempted. The more, you get this, the more you grow toward the Lord, the more, the greater the degree uh, it, and maybe the severity of the temptation is going to be. The closer you get to the Lord, sometimes the greater, um, it, it may be greater in terms of intensity, it may be greater in terms of uh, quantity, you're, you're going to feel more and more um, tempted. I mean, you look at the temptation that, that Jesus faced after 40 days. I mean, that was some intense temptation. Um, and so, again, he wasn't too spiritual for it uh, in those 40 days. I mean, you cannot imagine the relationship that he's forging with this heavenly father in that. You know, and, and it says after 40 days, he became hungry. I mean, I've never gone 40 days without eating food. I mean, I've got enough to live for 40 days, but I've never gone 40 days without eating food. I mean, imagine go, being at that place, not having eaten for 40 days, and the, what is one of the temptations? Turn that stone into bread. Bread, butter. <laughs> we had bread and butter tonight for supper. So again, I, I mean, just the, the, the closer you get to God, the more severe um, that temptation is gonna be. Uh, there's a misconception that says once you're born again, you've got it all together. And so uh, you've arrived, so you fake it and you wear a mask and you pretend, you know, like you're above it all, you know, that you're untouchable. Um, you know, this is really more for, um, you know, the, the uh, um, lesser Christians, you know. Uh, again, you don't, you don't ever get to a point where you become so spiritual that you rise above uh, that temptation, um, we're all tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. What that simply means is I will never face a temptation that is unique to me. Generally, the temptations I am facing and dealing with are the temptations you are facing and are dealing with. And one of the beauties of that is, you know what, as you've overcome in that particular area, you can become a, a, a source of strength, encouragement. Um, you can be someone who is able to help me in overcoming. You've overcome in this area. I'm struggling in this area. Help me by virtue of what you have learned to overcome as well. And so there is no temptation that is unique to you. It is a temptation that every one of us have felt. And so, again, 
by opening up, by sharing, by just being honest um, with, with people around us of what we're struggling with, where we're struggling. Again, oftentimes it's like, oh man, I've, I've been there. I've dealt with that. Here's what God has taught me through uh, my journey or my time uh, in wrestling with that temptation. I, I, it, it's, it's kind of that whole wounded healer concept. You know, um, by, I, I, wanna, I want to show you compassion by virtue of what I've gone through with that. I want to I wanna be compassionate. I want to I wanna help you um, by virtue of what I've learned as I've gone through that. So again, no temptation has, uh, has taken you except what is common to man. It is not a sin to be tempted. Um, I, you know, it was kind of like, I was like, when I first became a Christian, it was like one of the first liberating truths I learned. It's not a sin to be tempted. We're all tempted. It's when we give in to the temptation that we sin. So that was like, like wow, that was like great for me because, I, you know, I felt like if you were tempted to sin, you've sinned, so you might as well go ahead and do it. Was, I mean, that, was my, that was my thought. You know, and then when somebody said, oh, no, 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 it's, it's not a sin to be tempted, it's when you give in to it that you sin. It's like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So it's not a sin to be tempted. Hebrews 4.15 said, Jesus was tempted in all points. Like as we are, yet, see he didn't give in to it, so the Bible says he sinned not. So again, you go back to no temptation has seized you, no temptation seized Jesus that was not common to man. And so Hebrews says he was tempted in all ways. Any way that you have been sinned, Jesus dealt with that sin in some measure, in some form, in some way. So he's been tempted in all points, and yet he did not sin. He was perfect, but uh, he was tempted, but never gave in. Um, sometimes people are intimidated by, by temptation. You know, thinking, how could I have thought that kind of a thought? How could I have thought about doing something like that. Again, the devil puts it in your mind. The enemy can whisper. I mean, he, he, can, he can give you suggestions. It's not your fault. You're human, okay? Temptation proves you're human, not that you're evil, okay? Temptation proves you're human. You're a person. It doesn't prove that you're evil, it's not a sin to be tempted. Sin comes when we give into temptation. And again, the more committed you are, the more you're going to be tempted. The devil is trying to derail you. So first of all, be realistic. Everyone deals with temptation. Anyone here that, uh, I, had a, I had a joke in here. Um, Brent's probably back there thinking, oh, you should have said it, you should have said it. Anyway, it's what do you, what do you get when you cross uh, a crocodile with um, a thing of baloney, a crock of baloney. So anyone who says, I've never been tempted, I don't deal with temptation, it's a crock of baloney. So 
Be realistic. Second one is be responsible. In other words, accept responsibility. Take responsibility for the temptation. Take responsibility when you give in to the temptation. Don't blame other people. We love to blame other people. We love to, you know, point fingers. Uh, I, I wouldn't have done that if you wouldn't have done this. And so we want to blame other people, even God. Verse 13 says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God does not tempt, but we love to blame others. Will Rogers once said, I love this, he said, you can summarize uh, American history into two great movements, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. And again, we are a, we are, we are a society of irresponsibility. I mean, more and more and more, all of our problems are somebody else's fault. Uh, we get this, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, started this, and every generation has picked it up and perfected it in some form or another. So uh, we blame society, we blame the government, we blame uh, the environment, we blame heredity, blame your parents, blame your spouse, blame the devil, some even blame God. Um, like we talked about, this whole thing of fatalism, it must be God's will or he wouldn't have allowed it to happen. Um, that's called, again, blaming God. Um, I had a guy one time uh, that told me, uh, you know, God told him to leave his wife and to marry somebody else's wife in the church. I said, that is not God. God is not going to tempt you with something that involves sin. And you leaving your wife to marry some other man's wife is sin. And, and that is not God telling you that is the devil. Well, he didn't want to hear that. Um, so again, oftentimes we, we blame God. Uh, don't make your bad choices and then blame them on God. God does not tempt. He never contradicts his word. God is not going to tell you to do one thing, and then the Bible completely contradicts that. Um, if, 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 if the word doesn't affirm it, then it's not God's will. Um, so God is not going to contradict um, his word. Uh, the fact is, most of us bring our problems on ourselves. Um, we bring them on ourselves, and again, if we're ever going to break those bad habits we want to get rid of, we've, again, got to be realistic, we've got to be responsible, quit passing the buck, quit making excuses, and then next week we're going to pick up with this, again, being ready. To me, if you know that all of us are going to be tempted, okay, we need to be realistic about that. Um, and then we've got to be willing to take responsibility when it comes that we're ready to handle it. Uh, and so next week we're going to talk about that. Um, how do you prepare? How do you position yourself so when that temptation, not if, when temptation comes, you are ready to be able to deal and to overcome that? We're going to pick that up there uh, next week. Thanks, Brent, for scooting over there and taking care of that for me. I really appreciate that. I know the, I hope, I know the congregation does too.